Hey, listeners, remember that Don't Ask Tig won a Webby Award for Best Advice slash How-To podcast episode for our conversation with the spectacular Esther Perel? Well, last week, I got to travel to New York to accept the award in person. You know, it was a really fun evening. I, I also got to go with producers of the show and see old friends in the audience and make some new friends. And a highlight, I have to say, for the night was Anita Hill wandered up and was talking in the same group that I was. And if I can just brag for a second, she knew who I was. I was looking at her thinking how truly groundbreaking her actions were and how she was very much a person of the evening where the crowd went wild. But I did think in that moment, do people really stop and think back on how long ago that was? I mean, 91. That was so recent and yet so long ago. I truly can't even put it into words. I'm just blown away about speaking up about sexual harassment within her peers and on such a public world stage. And then to be made fun of by so many people and not believed. And now everything she endured and then to see her, I mean, obviously there's plenty of people that aren't fans of hers. I mean, it's very similar to Monica Lewinsky, but it is nice to see all these years later and sad that it is all these years later, people like Monica and Anita Hill are greeted with standing ovations and the respect that they deserve. I feel strongly that they deserve. So it was just to make it a selfish moment. Gosh, was it fun to have her know who I was? I knew who she was. I mean, come on. I knew who she was. I don't think she's talking to anybody about how I knew who she was. I think it's just that she's a reminder of how far the country has come and has to go. But also a reminder that she's just a person. I mean, she was at the award show just eating a breadstick like me. And everybody else. It wasn't just two of us eating breadsticks. Everybody there was eating breadsticks. Uh, Okay. Anyway, in other news, please remember that my Hello Again tour is still on the road. And for tickets, go to tignotaro.com. Anita, if you're listening, I'd love to see you at a show. She's not listening. Okay, let's get on with the show. I was friends with Fred Willard since the mid seventies. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was always one of the loveliest guys just to sit and talk with. Cause he was, yeah, he was so, he had a window into another world where it was very bizarre, but very kind. Mm-hmm. His favorite thing was to toast. He would say, you know, I'd rather be here with you tonight than to be with the finest people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he was just awesome. Don't Ask Tig, I'm Tig Notaro, and today this podcast gets turned up to 11. 
You know and love my next guest from his many unforgettable roles, including Lenny Kaznowski in Laverne and Shirley, Chuck McGill on Better Call Saul, and David St. Hubbins in This Is Spinal Tap. Michael McKeon, I am so grateful that you are here today. Thank you so much for the invitation, and I'm glad I, I could show up, even though it meant not leaving my house. Yeah. That's the kind of showing up I do at this age. I appreciate it. I'll take whatever I can get. Before we started the show officially, you had mentioned that you saw me perform at Largo yeah. in Los Angeles, yeah. and I have something to share with you. You do? I do. We actually met years ago. I uh, worked for you briefly. and In what capacity? <laughs> There's no way you would know or remember this, but you did an HBO pilot years ago, and I was the PA that was working for you. And you can try and act like you're trying to remember. There's no way. This was 25 years ago. I'm sure you remember the pilot. No, I, I don't think I do. It was you and Harry Shearer, and Harry was in a oh, green suit. Oh, my God, Yes. It was, uh, I'll tell you, it was 23 years ago because it was right before I got married. Oh, okay. In fact, I was sort of directing it. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the, the check bounced so I don't feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I met you 23 years ago wow. and never crossed paths again. Till I, that night at the Largo. Yeah. Now, Michael, I heard that your father was involved with founding DECA Records. Here's what he, no, my father was instrumental in the transition from single records to albums in DECA's post-war years. When DECA started, my father was in college and was not an executive. But I, these things, they wind up lodged in the lore. It is somewhere uh, the truth that David Lander and I, a guy who played Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley, yes. that when we met at college, we did... You know, we, we goofed around at college, but we did not ride a motorcycle through Donner Hall. We we didn't do it. <laughs> well, to bring up Lenny and Squiggy, I know you hear it every day of your life. Huge part of my childhood. Ah, sweet. My mother, my brother, we just adored the show. And Lenny and Squiggy, oh, my God, loved you guys. Well, thank you. Thanks. We, You know, we lost David about... A year and change ago. Yeah. We were together for a long, long time. We were, yeah. We met when we were teenagers. That's crazy. And we were friends until our 70s, you know. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. Well, it was everybody's loss because he really yeah. was the funniest man I ever knew. But you guys just together, it's so incredible. I mean, my wife and I are no Lenny and Squiggy, but it's so nice. <laughs> I mean, she and I make each other laugh harder than anybody else on the planet. And when you find that person, of course, she and I are in love, but also there's been men in my life. And it, when I go on Stephen Colbert, I feel it too, just that crush and that love. It's like you fall in love with another comedian. It's when you find that rhythm where it's like neither yeah. of you are really thinking. You're just being yeah. funny and making each other laugh. Uh, Chris Guest and I were in London. It was 2000, so we were promoting Best in Show. Mm -hmm. We went out to dinner. I didn't even know what it was, but we got onto some kind of a role, and they were going to throw us out of there. We were laughing so hard and <laughs> so... And, and it was like that thing is where you get to a point and you both can't breathe and then you both have the same thought and you try yeah. to say it at the same time yeah. <laughs> because it would be the funniest thing that ever happened. And you realize you're both going to say the same thing and neither of you can say it anymore. And then you're gone. Yeah. 
I can't even believe that some people don't experience that also. My wife calls it people who talk to each other. And it's um, when you just go through the world. That's damning it with faint praise right there. Just saying hello and how was your day and this is delicious yeah. and good night and I love you. And that's the extent of the exchange. And then there's people that make your whole body explode. And it's just, I feel so thankful to have that in my life. Yeah. Now, you studied acting at Carnegie Mellon and NYU. Yes. The first year at Pittsburgh was ridiculous. I couldn't get I didn't know how to get to sleep, so I'd be up till four in the morning. So I wasn't really available for my eight o'clock class. David and I both got kind of culled from the herd after one mm-hmm. year. And he went right off to NYU because he wanted to be close to home. And so the following year, I kind of went on my own for a while and I played in a band and then I just kind of basically hung out and lived off of other people. And then I went back to school, back to NYU. And you've clearly gone on to play some of the funniest roles ever. Hmm. Were they improvised? It depends on the project. Uh-huh. Final Tap was 99% improvised. There were, I think, uh-huh. four written lines, and they were all given to other actors other than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had the idea that it was just better to know where we were going and then just see if we could make each other laugh on the way there. And that's how that was done. And then, of course, Chris's films, Chris Guest's films, four of those I did. Mm-hmm. Those are all improvised. The dialogue is improvised. Mm-hmm. The intent is always clear. The uh, story is always clear. So when you were with somebody like David, though, on Laverne and Shirley... Well, a lot in rehearsal. And also, they expected us to rewrite our stuff. When David and I had stuff that was sort of standalone and and wasn't mm. about, oh, how are we going to help the girls or how are we going to help save the pizza bowl or whatever was going on. Yeah. That was all nailed down. But they wanted us to rewrite our stuff because it's not that easy. You know, it, it's it's not just like Bazooka Joe dumb. There's a kind of a logic to what Lenny and Squiggy did. They had their own mentality, which just didn't jibe with your normal mentality. Right, <laughs> But it was right. for real and it had to have a certain logic. So they said... Go, do, you know, and so we did. Sometimes we actually got a script on the first reading and it said, Lenny and Squiggy, enter and do something. And then they say this to the girls. <laughs> so we just, all right, I guess, you know, it's the horse costume, whatever. I mean, there must have been so many explosive moments of the anticipation of what you were going to walk in and do and even just the fun between the two yeah. of you. Well, they were great. I mean, it really was the four of us had a pretty good squad going when uh-huh. we really had something to do. Yeah. There were times when it was very explosive and there were times when it was when it was the opposite. You know, there were times yeah. that it just seemed yeah. to go, well, we're simmering, we'll get through this and we'll be home by 1130. Right. Which is not the way you want to feel. Right. But we did in those days, we didn't do scenes over and over again. Mm-hmm. We shot everything once. Wow. And there were no monitors. Uh, so you get, you know, you find the old... Um, camera coordinators and get them to explain how it ever got done. But it was three guys, three cameras on three dollies, uh-huh. shooting the whole show, real audience reaction, very little sweetening on our show. You know, we it was we had some really good houses. Oh, my gosh. It, it was a really unusual time. But there was one moment that stands out for me in that, that whole process of seven years. We were doing a show that we hated. We just, on the, the, pink, the pink version at the table the week before, it was like, well, let's just throw this in the garbage because this is terrible. So they rewrote, they fixed it, fixed it. Yeah, it's a little better. It's a little better. So we got it on its feet 
And because of the guest cast, including uh, Peter Ebling, who's a very, very funny actor, and because we really wanted to get it over with, we wound up shooting this amazing show. And it's one of the funnier shows. <laughs> and having just crapped on the show all week, we're, we're backstage, we're shooting, the audience is really digging it. And Cindy and I run off and we have a, a, an entrance. And we're right, right about to go back on. And she's like panting. She goes, show's cooking. <laughs> And I, <laughs> we didn't do high fives in those days, but it was, there was an emotional high five. I and still I, don't do high fives. No, nah, no, nah, it's best not to. Yeah. And they're not my thing. Anyway, I, you get an old guy reminiscing and you're, you're in trouble. Well, that's the end of our show. <laughs> Part two. Uh, yeah. Now, Michael, is giving advice something you enjoy or you're good at or? Um, sometimes. Mm-hmm. I can give useful advice if it successfully helps someone else beat me to it. You know, because sometimes someone will say, I have a problem, and they'll start telling me, and I'll get an idea of just one little corner of it and say, well, what about this? And then sometimes I can put it into words. Okay. If I always knew the right thing, I'd give a lot more advice. But uh, I also know that lives are all different. They sure are. You know, what should I do? Should I ask this girl to marry me or not? I don't know. I got mine already. I've already been through that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you're known for playing a rock star. Okay. And this next question is from a listener who can't make the rock stop playing. Mimi writes, as I lay my head down to sleep at night, Aerosmith's Dream On haunts my brain. It's a good one. Night after night, this happens. How can I put an end to this? I have a real answer. Oh, okay. Let's have it. Figure out the opposite of Aerosmith's Dream On. Find something that's in a minor key that has an ascending rather than descending scale. Listen to that right before you go to bed. Do you have an example? That would be really It's helpful. only make-believe by Conway Twitty. <laughs> I love really Conway does. Twitty. Really, I do, too. His name was the source of two parodies. Conrad Birdie oh. in the show Bye Bye Birdie. Okay. And Twit Conway, which was a Peter Sellers character. Wow, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I love I love music trivia. Yeah, I always tell the story of flying on JetBlue from LA to New York, and they used to have the music trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would play from the time we took off to landing, and it would tell which seat you were in. And I remember I was just beating everybody on the flight, and this guy (laughs) walked past me when he was exiting the plane, and he turned and he was like, "Eh, "Ms. Rock and Roll." You know, <laughs> and I was what's the kinda... first concert you ever saw? First rock concert? Uh, I went to see Sammy Hagar. Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. No, so... I, I I met Sammy when he was with Chickenfoot. Oh, okay. In London, you saw him play. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's a, he's a good loud singer. Yeah. Sam, Sammy's a good man. Yeah, yeah, I saw him on his "I Can't Drive" '55 tour. Well, you must have been a child. I was, but I also loved his band Montrose. I don't know if you're familiar with Montrose. Yeah, yeah, kind of not my cup of tea, but I I remember them. They were fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love those obscure bands that I used to make fun of. It's like, yeah, they're opening for them, and they're opening for them. And then I I hear something, they were good. There's a band called Rhinoceros Uh who played a lot, and they were always third on the bill. Yeah. 
and I bought a whole album. They're really good. And I have no idea what their status is now. They're probably, you know, retired or, you know, working in public relations or who knows, you know. <laughs> well, but they were. <laughs> well, there's your plug, Rhinoceros. No, they were great. Yeah, we're going to get their career back up and going after that yeah. plug. Mimi, take it from Michael. He knows music after all. He was Oscar nominated for Best Original Song. The other thing, I've had this problem. For some reason, I had Don't You Want Me by the Human League yeah. in my head one night. That's and a good it song. Would, it's not a good song. It is and a good no, song. It is not yes. A good song. Oh. You know what? Maybe before this night it was a good song, but now it's not a good song. Okay. Because it did keep me, and it was like, what the hell? I don't, I never was crazy about this song. I don't, I don't like everybody wants to rule the world either, you uh-huh. know? So it just depends on when you heard it. My mother loved everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. It's I fine. was always kind of neutral about it, but I think because my mother loved it, I'm like, ah, I mm. always crank it up when I hear it now. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. All right. It's time for a break and we will be back with more questions. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And we're back. Michael, this one comes to us from Didi. Didi writes, Tig, what if you have young kids and think some of the kids' friends, I'm talking age two to four, are real duds? Is it okay to stop scheduling play dates with their parents who are also somewhat duds? Or am I a bad person? <laughs> ha ha. Um, I'm always... I never write ha-ha, and I, know. I always ask my wife, I'm like, is this person laughing? Like, what is – when somebody Prompting. writes ha or ha-ha, I, I don't – I never understand, but she'll tell me. She's like, oh, that's ironic or that's – I think of it as kind of the laugh track. Uh-huh. I think if someone is asking – reminding you to laugh. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, wow. I don't know where that got us. I just think if, if there's any way to teach your kids to be as discerning as you are – without bullying them, that's fine, you know? But the other thing, I've had some friends that my parents thought were duds, and they were really cool. They were fine. My father loved my friends who were funny. Yeah. When I was, you know, in those years, I had really funny friends of Uh very different kinds. One guy was kind of the intellectual who was fun to watch TV with because he'd take apart, you know, what was going on. And the other one was Buddy Hackett, basically. It was just this goofy fat kid who yeah. just made me laugh so hard. And still, <laughs> now, neither of those guys went into, into show business. 
And both of those people were totally acceptable to my folks. My folks thought they were fine. But there were some that they thought, what are you hanging around with him for? And I didn't need to hear that. Yeah. You know, I made my own decisions about that. Have you ever met a two-year-old dud? Uh, Not a dud exactly. No, no, I haven't. (laughs) I don't think. I don't meet many two-year-olds. But when I had two-year-olds, I would meet two-year-olds. And they were all... I didn't really judge them that much. I mean, they're you know? they're only two years into this life. I know. They're two just, years. Yeah. 24 you months. You can't quiz them on anything yet. You know? Yeah. really know. Dee Dee, why are you being so hard on <laughs> two to four-year-olds? I mean, two, they can be annoying and frustrating if they're crying all the time or they're fighting or throwing tantrums. But I guess I can't quite picture what a dud of a two-year-old is. But I think that if your kid has an interest in these kids, even if you find them to be boring or a dud, I think you still need to let your kid hang out with them. And my wife and I were warned all the time about once our kids got into school, we would be miserable with having to go to all the birthday parties and meet all the parents. And we've luckily had the opposite experience because on the weekends, we love, when I say we, I'm on tour right now, so Stephanie's really dealing with it. But she calls me all the time just thankful that there is a birthday party every weekend because it's so fun for our sons. And it's something to do. It's like, a major activity and all of the parents we like, you know, we're not hanging out with them all the time, but I guess I'm just kind of bragging at this point that uh, (laughs) it's not really helping Didi, but I'm just, it's so fresh on my mind because Stephanie and I talk about how thankful we are that we're not feeling that way about. I think the dud parents looms a lot larger in this question Mm -hmm. than than anything else. Yeah. Uh, Because sometimes you do that. Oh my God. This little bastard's just like his dad, you know. Yeah. Or it, it's like we we tend to do that because we understand adults a lot better than we understand something as simple as a two year old, right? You know, and they have their own complexities. Yeah, and I think that possibly these parents are more duds than we know, but we're also, I'm sure, as the other parents are, we're so busy that we don't really yeah. have, of course, time to be getting that tight with everybody. Yeah. I would say, you know, as far as the two to four-year-old duds go, um, (laughs) I think you need to lay off, Dee Dee. That's that's a little rough. Yeah, let Um, let them grow. Yeah. And uh, they have such limited information and experience. I mean, I have almost 51 years of experience, and I am not nailing it every day. (laughs) And so if the parents are annoying distance yourself and explain that you don't have that kind of time to spend with people outside of your tight circle. Yeah. But um I don't know why, but I'm reminded of someone someone gave me a list of things that doctors expressions that doctors use to each uh, other and don't use anywhere else. You know, they don't talk to non doctors about it. And like and what? Well well like, you know, uh, I can't remember any of the, the setups, but there were just think, oh, I know. Okay. The, get real dark. Okay. Okay. Sure. We're both, we're both cancer survivors, you and I. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, but it was like a, a, a goober was a tumor. And a roasted goober is one that's been treated with radiation. <laughs> a healthy goober is a dead patient. 
So these really dark, dark things. And the other one was uh, uh, FLK. Funny-looking kid. He's in exam, exam number six, FLK. And who's the, who's the FLP? And the, the funny-looking parents, they'll be around. <laughs> so wait, is that that's a known thing with, with yeah, doctors? Yeah. This is things that doctors used to do. They, they have very dark senses of humor. Oh, oh my this gosh. Doctor joke, this doctor joke were the two most overrated things in the world. <laughs> Sexual intercourse and Johns Hopkins. <laughs> so I, it, it's it's a lovely thing you could only hear a doctor say. Oh my gosh, funny yeah. looking kid! And there's nothing better than a funny looking kid. Oh I mean, God! At, like there is truly no unattractive or unadorable, uncute kid alive. <laughs> I don't care what their face looks like, how it lined up what what, i don't care what's going on they're just kids are just the best even if they're duds they're on their way to being something else yeah that's the one thing that all kids have it's they're not who they're gonna ever be yeah there are so many different ways to be beautiful anyway yeah you know uh, it's and interesting yeah yeah oh my gosh the dud element i i just didi you're wrong. That's what I have to say. Get back to us and let us know how things go with these kids when you finally get off their asses about being duds. All right, Michael, our next question was sent in by a frustrated friend. Ash writes, one of my dearest friends and I live in different states. We often communicate via FaceTime. I love her and she's a good friend, but every single time it's my turn to talk and I say anything more than a yes or no in response, she starts yawning. If I'm telling a story, she will just yawn one after another until I'm done. We've talked about it and she says she can't stop. Um, but it's I can't a riveting, help it. <laughs> riveting letter so far. But I can't help but feel self-conscious knowing every time I talk, she's going to be yawning the whole time. Help. <laughs> Ash, that was a long, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you need to edit, okay? <laughs> you know, I would yawn sometimes right before I would do stand-up. And I think there's something psychological going on. And Apparently, that's you're yawning because your brain needs more oxygen. Mm-hmm. You're doing well, kind of an emer- emergency rethink of how much intake you got. That's what's happening on a completely non-conscious level. Well, I'm sure in the early days of doing stand-up, because that's when it was that I would start yawning. I think it was to calm myself, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Um, does that make sense or no? I had it explained to me once why you yawn when you see someone else yawn. Mm-hmm. And it was very complex and I don't remember it at all. Oh, okay. So I'm gl- glad to be of service. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I brought it up then. Jeez. Um, why not? I mean, we have time to fill. Yeah. Now, my gut reaction to this is that it's something psychological And I can't do much better than Michael did, to be honest. I don't know what the psychological issue might be, if it is psychological. But I know for myself, I feel like I would yawn backstage because I would get excited and nervous right before I went out. So I think I would yawn to just kind of bring myself back down. Maybe you were trying to convince yourself that you're blasé about the thing. Oh, yes, I'm going to go on now. 
Ho-hum. Well, my first stand-up performance, yes. um, I was leaning against the wall on my ex backstage, <laughs> and I was yawning. <laughs> and the producer walked by, and she said, "Are you tired? Are you ri- like, are you?" And I was like, "No, I just." Uh, I can't stop yawning. I, I think it's nerves or something. But I mean, truly couldn't be more exhausted and tired before I walk out on stage. Have you ever yawned on stage? I don't think I ever have. Uh, no. I've had to fake a yawn and I, it's pretty convincing, but I don't think I've ever literally yawned. Do you know what I've noticed in movies and TV? And I point it out to Stephanie all the time. It is rare that you see somebody do an authentic yawn. Yeah. On camera. I think I've only seen it once because when you're closing at the end after the, I mean, it is so hard to do an authentic yawn. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing. You're right. Of course, it's almost like that very fake money that you see in old movies. (laughs) Remember that? Yeah. Those are dollar bills. Yeah. Picture of Louis B. Mayer on them. Come on. Yeah. I truly think I've only seen it once where I'm like, "Oh, oh, my gosh. That looks like a real yawn, but I've never seen, no matter how good the actor is, you're, I'm always like, nah, they're not tired. They're well, acting. Here's what we got to do. We got to put together a supercut of famous actors yawning mm-hmm. or just any actors yawning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to do this. You're not going to do this, but maybe somebody No, will. I think it'd be a great project for us yeah. to uh, do together. You'd be right. I think most of them would look like horseshit. Yeah. All right, Ash, I'm confident we didn't help you, no. but good luck. Michael, this next and final question comes from a listener in New Zealand. Yeah. Amy writes, Tig, I just finished watching Bad Reputation, the Joan Jett documentary that you talked about in the Cindy Lauper episode, and oh my God, I loved it. Any recommendations on movies or documentaries to watch? I have already watched everything with you in it multiple times. <laughs> Um, Amy, I can't help but think you should rewatch everything of mine all over again. <laughs> Why not? Right? I don't know. Michael, do you have any recommendations for Amy? I really liked the Wilco movie. Mm. That was real good. Mm. I'm trying to break your heart. It's the Wilco movie. And there's a movie called Anvil, the story of Anvil. Mm which is a story of a Canadian band getting back together again. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really fun, except for one problem. 20, 30, 40 years on, everyone knows what it's like to be in a kind of a reality situation. Yeah. So a lot of times people are behaving a little differently than they might if this were turn on a camera, you know? Right. It, it's a little bit story-driven. And people are kind of like, we got to get the band back together, playing yeah. moments instead of like just... I try him again, call him again, call him at this number. I mean, right, right, right. There's a famous piece of film, and it's by the Lumiere brothers in the early part of the 20th century, say 1901, 1902. Uh Nobody's ever seen a movie camera before. They parked one outside the Peugeot factory, which Uh was a bicycle factory at the time. And it's all these hundreds of workers walking past this camera. And it's the last time you'll ever see a lot of people who have never seen a movie. Nobody knows what that camera does yet at this point. But now we all, we do. And now in the last 20 years, everything's reality television. That's why people are proposing to each other loudly in restaurants and taking movies of it. Everybody's on TV at all times. Everybody's treating their life on airplanes. If it's about masks, if it's about what it's like, we're all, all on TV now. Yeah. You know, and I think it's made us all 
terribly evil. My other podcast, Cheryl Hines and I do a podcast about new documentary every week. Ah. And we kind of barely talk about documentaries, but <laughs> there is just such a new way of making documentaries that it, it's so refined and like mm -hmm. produced. And I mean, obviously, it's not like the first time seeing a movie, but there was just a real turn that documentaries took. Yeah. You know, and some are good, but you lose that rawness. Well, I think that er Errol Morris did an interesting thing when he started making documentaries and he did the Thin Blue Line mm -hmm. and could, and it was the most, by far the most well thought of documentary of the year, mm -hmm. didn't get nominated for an Oscar because they said, no, it's all setups and stuff. And it's cutting away to the coffee cup hitting the floor and you know and just yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, he he made a made a movie out of it yeah right that it wasn't a documentary but he was really evolving as an artist i think you know and mm -hmm. he's made some wonderful films yeah but it's not the same as frederick weissman who really did just talk his way into great situations and just shoot it mm -hmm. so if you hear the air conditioning you hear the air conditioning you know it's right. like it's like this is what's really happening here so it's yeah. just it is a different time no. For sure. And everything is changing. And, you know, it's like people griping about new music versus old music. It's like yeah. there's room for it all. And I like it all. Yeah, because it's all good for you. Yeah. And you feel it. It's like eating something that you you can tell is nourishing you. It's mm -hmm. not just a Snickers bar, you know. Yeah, Although. and and I can't claim that my podcast is nurturing oh. uh, with Cheryl, but uh, it does exist. <laughs> She's um, a good improviser. Oh, she's Cheryl, she's great. Cheryl's oh my great gosh. on her feet. Yeah. Cheryl and I, she's another one of those people where we just have comedy crushes on each other. Yeah, and we just yeah. laugh. We've been friends for over 15 years, and we yeah. started this um, a couple of years ago. It's called Tig and Cheryl True Story, and it's I'll be there. people will write in so furious, like, this is a terrible movie review show. And it and it's like that's not what it is. It's like the, the movie is a jumping off point for us. Yeah. And we also get sidetracked and just cackle about nothing. Well, you're um, making your own rules. That's yeah. That's your responsibility as far as I'm concerned. Well, Amy, that's what Michael thinks you should watch. And Michael, this last part of the show, it's a segment we call Name That Thing. Name that thing where people write in when they need us to name that thing for them okay anything from a pub trivia team to a grandmother the catch is that they must use the name this is binding so we can't okay. mess it up do you understand the no, stakes here but let's, let's let's well let me explain it again <laughs> until you understand uh okay I feel crowd worked. Rebecca. I'm being crowd worked. <laughs> Rebecca writes, can you please name my pickle tattoo? Why do I have a pickle tattoo? Because I love pickles. Simple as that. I've always loved them since I was little. People think there's some hidden meaning to my pickle tattoo, but it's just something I love. So when I turned 50, I got a tattoo of a pickle on my ankle. Now when I sit on the can, I will never be bored. I just look down and there's my awesome tattoo. Thank you, Tig and guest. I love pickles. And just for a little information, pickles are great prebiotics, okay? You know of probiotics. I do. But prebiotics, fermented food, 
is really good. Oh, yeah, and pickles. About that before. Pickles are really great prebiotics, and I used to love them. I was famous in my family for my pickle sandwich because my stepfather. I was a very picky eater. My stepfather, when I was given a sandwich, when I said I don't want this, he said, "Well, take off." what you don't want. And I took everything off the sandwich except a pickle. And so my family... Did you slice them lengthwise like they do in Chicago? Um, no, just no. the little circles. And I think circles. I just had two little circles in, in between bread. Yeah, dill. Yeah, yeah, good, good. My um, wife won't eat a pickle. No, huh? What, what no. about would she get a pickle tattoo? She wouldn't get any kind of tattoo. No. Okay. I have one tattoo... Which mm-hmm. I dreamed mm-hmm. when I was in my twenties. Oh. I dreamed that I got a little star over here, the size of a dime. Oh! And then in 1994, I was on a move, shooting a movie called Radioland Murders, which refused to rap. It just kept shooting and shooting and shooting. <laughs> so Bob Goldthwait decided we're going to have a rap party anyway. So he got a a club downtown Wilmington, North Carolina, where we were shooting, and he got some cage dancers. And he got uh, some tattoo artists and some piercing people. And it's sky's the limit, whatever you want. So I got this tattoo that I had dreamed of. I got a little star the size of a dime. Sky's the limit. That's my entire tattoo thing. My wife, will. she just says, it's the only thing about you I don't like. She doesn't <laughs> like my tattoo and she doesn't like pickles. So I think we've brought it around full circle. Yeah. Does anything stick out as far as um, naming this? Pankle. Ankle? Pankle. Pankle. It's a pickle on your ankle, hence pankle. Pankle. Now, pankle looks like a silly word, much as pickle does. But (laughs) pankle, if you made it look sort of Asian, you know, Uh or or out of some other language. Yeah. Pankle, like an umlaut or something. Or uh, they have these great marks in uh, Gaelic. When you Uh see Gaelic in English print, there are all these little doodads on them and and yeah. cicadas or whatever they're called. And uh, not cicadas. That I like right. cicadas. No. Aren't those Cidillas. bugs? Cedillas. It's the little meat hook under the sea. Cedilla pankle. Yeah. Like a dill pickle. That's her full name. Yeah, I'm assuming I'm saying, it's, a, it's a lady. Cedilla pankle. pankle. That is the name of your pickle tattoo. Cedilla pankle. Cedilla pankle. Oh, my gosh. We did it, Michael. We got it. Rebecca, your tattoo is Sedilla Pankle. You are more than welcome. Michael, that's all the time we have. And I am just very appreciative of your um, time and your generous advice to my listeners. I think we have a lot more to talk about one day, Tig. I would love it. We're going to settle this whole world situation, you, me, and you. Yeah. Do you have anything that you'd like to promote? There's a lovely movie called Jerry and Marge Go Large. Starring Brian Cranston and Annette Benning is all. And I'm in that. Me and little Ann Harada are married in that one. Amazing. And it's a fabulous story. It's about the guy who's retiring from his job at the cereal factory. Mm. And he's got a lot of time on his hands and he decides to game the lottery program of the state. And he does, based on a true story. Oh. And just by bulk buying, and doing a lot of smart planning, he just he winds up with this corporation of his friends, and they're all making a lot of money. It's an amazing story. It's really wow. fun. So that'll be on Paramount Plus pretty soon. 
And I also did an episode of the show called Dead Ringers with Ms. Rachel Wise. Keep your eyes open for that because okay. it's going to be a monster and it's really, really dark and cool. Awesome. So I did one episode of that. Uh, I'm going to London for something, but I can't talk about that. That's okay. later later on in the spring. All right. It's going to be good, Top though. secret. Well, everything you do is good, sir. Thank you, darling. And it was so nice to uh, cross paths again. One day face-to-face, okay? Yeah, I would love it. Okay, Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Have a great day. And now that the show's over, head over to Tignotaro.com to buy tickets to see me on my Hello Again tour. New cities are being added all the time. So see you there. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Ouellette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Eric Romani, Alex Simpson, and Derek Ramirez. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham, and Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 